just this past Saturday, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of man's walk on the moon. I remember as a nine-year-old boy hearing that and watching it live on TV in my living room. And probably like most young boys that age, talking about God's plan for your life, I thought I knew God's plan for my life that day. I wanted to be an astronaut. Probably like most nine-year-old boys wanted to be as they watched the TV and saw that monumentous, monumental uh, occurrence taking place before their eyes and hearing Neil Armstrong's voice from the moon. Uh, well, that's what I wanted to do. That's, that's who I wanted to be. I wanted to go out in space and discover the next planet or do the next, the next great thing. As I thought on that this past week, I thought, you know, our trying to, to, to dovetail this thought of, of God always having a plan for us, and he does. But his plans for us, each of us, start with one step, and it's usually a small one. It's usually just, I'll invest in a relationship with this person. I'll reach out to them. I'll spend a little more time this week in the scripture. I'll, I'll step into my prayer life a little more over here. Less in crisis, oftentimes, and more in just having a daily communion and walk and talk with him. It usually starts with one small step and ends up, over time, having a giant leap for our walk with him. Um, Because as we start to be obedient, start to find ourselves in a place of obedience, walking in his plan and his design and his purpose for our life, we'll start to see incremental increases in our faith growing, our wisdom growing, our sense of confidence and, and, and wherewithal as to who we are in him growing, and our walking and knowing we're in the center of his will, in, in the center of the place where he's called us to be. And we've looked, uh, looked at, the, at the example of Elijah, at the, at the example of Joseph, and at the, this example of our, our running the course with, with great faith and obedience. I want you to turn today to probably the most prolific passage in Scripture about God's plans for man. It's Jeremiah 29. And we're going to dissect verse 11 in just a moment, but I want to give you some context to verse 11. So follow along with me, if you will, beginning in verse 4 of Jeremiah 29, and we'll read down through verse 13 together. Jeremiah 29, 4 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those who I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, Settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your with all of your heart. Four things I want us to glean from verse 
29 today, or verse 11 of chapter 29, as it relates to God's plan for us specifically. And the verse is this, is God's plans for, for you originated with him. He says here, for I know the plans I have for you. I know my plans for you, the plans I have for you. Now, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17 gives us this context. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Believing that verse to be true, this verse doesn't just apply to Jeremiah. It applies to you and me. Was it true for Jeremiah? Yes, it was. Was it true for the nation of Israel? Yes, it was. But it's also true for you and I sitting here today and how God deals with us specifically. His plan originated with him. Uh, it is unique to you, but it is from him. God's plans are unique to our circumstances and situations, but they are they are to be from him. Uh, they're not from Trump. They're not from Oprah. They're not from Joel Osteen. God's plans for you are from him to you. I think it's important you start, start on square one to seek his way in his, from his source, uh, his scripture and his Holy Spirit. Now, it's vital that we recognize the source if we're going to recognize the way. If we recognize his way and his plan, his, his design, his, his, as I say, oftentimes divine design for us, it's important we understand the source, and the source is God himself. Now, we can glean some things from other folks, and it's wise to seek counsel from other folks, and it's, it's certainly wise to, uh, to seek prayer from other folks for sure, but we glean what we glean specifically from him, from him. And I think it's important that we realize he's the source of all of that. Most of us, though, if you're like me, you end up going your own way and asking God to bless it anyway. I think it's over here. Oh, this this makes a lot of sense. Let's try this out for a while. That that looks pretty pretty like, much like it'll work. Let me head over that. We ask God to bless our mess and bless our plans and bless our designs for Him. When He's saying, "Hold it, <laughs> hold it," I've got something unique to you for you that's not only going to bless you but bless me in the process of that. But we'll go go our own way and ask God to bless it. Now, we saw in week one with Elijah. And and week three with with Joseph, that there are turns and detours in God's way. Things he either causes to happen or allows to happen to cause our dependence on him to increase. Why? Because life isn't working very well in some of those moments. And we depend on him when life isn't working very well. And so he allows those turns and those detours and and road changes, uh, destination changes sometimes to engage our lives so that we'll see him more clearly. He knows that those are ways we'd never choose on our own, but that he chooses for us, as I said last week, for our good, for his glory. Uh, he knows that ultimately, ultimately to be true. So we need not be so analytical of the plan, and that's where most of us lie. Let me Show me what you got, God, <laughs> and then I'll decide if I want to walk in that place. Lay out the whole picture for me, and I'll, I'll, I'll make some decision of whether I think that's right for me or not. He never, ever, ever, ever will do that for you. He never gives you the whole picture. Why? Because of what we looked at in Hebrews 11 that says, if we keep our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, and not on the side roads, not on the detours, not on the turns, not on the changes, not on the circumstantial uh, faux pas that we walk, walk ourselves into sometimes, but if we keep our eyes on the prize, our eyes on him, and as we talked about last week or two weeks ago in, in, in Hebrews 11, that is, that is our eyes on Christ's likeness. If, I, if my eyes are on him, 
And my goal is to be like him. And being like him, I can see his way. I can see his hand. I can, I can, can understand how he deals with me uniquely because, of, um, because I'm looking at him and not, and not the process or, or even the pro, and, and product. It's hard for some, it's hard for me uh, sometimes because my, my attention is, and my patience is like this sometimes. It's hard for me to stay in the moment with him. It's vital that we stay in the moment with him because if we don't, if we, if we can't stay in the moment, we'll, we'll stop seeing the things he wants to see in those places, just like Joseph was, in the pit and in the prison. We'll stop seeing the things he wants to see in those hard places. But we will if we, if we stay in the moment for him. It, it, it comes far, we glean far more, far more quickly if we'll learn to do that. Um, I think it's essential that you see your best life starts with his plan. Your best life starts with his plan for you, not your own. It originated with him, God's plan does. Secondly, God's plan for you is good for you. Look at the next phrase there. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Watch. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. It's first important to understand that the word prosper is not talking about circumstances necessarily. It's not talking about um, uh, possessions or money necessarily. His prospering you is, is to bring you to a place where you are like him, where you see his ways, you understand his nature, and more, more easily and readily can walk in that. He's referring to, to spiritual prosperity that grows out of his plan for your life. And we know that Romans 8.28 tells us that God works all things together, good and bad, predictable and unpredictable, that we would choose the things we would not choose. He causes all those things to work together for our good and for his glory. Believing that to be true, we see that his plans to prosper us and not harm us are designs he has before creation for us. And so when he's working on our behalf, he's working for our good, whether we can see it in the moment or not. And sometimes you walk through places, and I have too, where I can't see the hand of God, but I have to trust that it's working, he's working for my good. Why? Because he promised in his word that that was his design and plan for me, not only in Romans, but here in Jeremiah uh, 29 as well. Regardless of what the circumstances are saying, we can more see him, see him more clearly and walk out his hand and walk out his way as we, as we learn the, the fact that he has got our situation totally in hand and always has had. Regardless of what the circumstances are saying, um, God wants his absolute best for you. But we have to understand who's defining best. He says, my plans are for, for you to prosper and not harm you. My plans are for your good, for, your, for indeed your best, but I'm the one defining best. Our culture isn't defining best. When we look at best as our culture, we look for things like the measurables, things like good job, nice home, good family, nice working marriage that seems to work. And, and, and we look at all these measurables, uh, good salary, paying our bills. We look, we look at all these measurables, measurables, and he's saying, that's not the kind of prosperity I'm talking about. My prosperity is so you'll see me not things that this world measures. My best for you is designed in me, not the way this world measures success and measures best. Uh, now, this whole phrase, prosper and not harm, you speaks to, both, speaks to both provision and protection, that he provides for us beyond where we can see sometimes and protects us often beyond where we can see sometimes. Um, I think it would blow your mind and my mind to, to see how God has protected us over the years. I, I think that, that, that picture is probably going to be rolled back in heaven one of these days to say, 
You were delivered from this and this. And here, because I took you a different way because of the road detour and they were doing road work over here, I saved your life here. This guy was going to hit you over here. You'd have been gone. I provided for you here. I protected you here. I protected you there. And I think as we see that picture, our jaw is going to continue to drop and we're going to see the, the provisional and protectional hand of God like we've never seen it before. But he's, he's saying in this verse, plans, plan, uh, plans to prosper you and not harm you. I'm saying, he's saying, I'm working this for your good and for your protection. I see you further than you can see and consequently can protect you from what, what, you, what you'll never, never see. <clears throat> you'll never understand all God is until he is all you have. You'll never understand, I want you, want you to get this, that he's all you need until he's all you have. I've been to that place a few times in my life as a church planter. Um, things struggle sometimes. You've probably seen some struggles in your own life, both maybe in terms of health or in terms of finances or in terms of marriage or job or things breaking down that you thought would never break down. And when you get to those places, those hard places that you can't, you have no control over whatsoever. You can't work it out. You can't. It's just not going to happen for you that way. When you get into those places and you understand clearly that he's all you got, you start to see that he is all I've ever needed. I, I thought I needed that and her and this, and but he's all I've ever needed. He's, 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 he is provisional <clears throat> and protectional in that way. And if I, ask for, if I ask for testimonials today, I'd probably get some that you've walked in those places as well where he's all you got. You realize he's all you've ever needed. He is good that way. And his plans for you are good. It, they originate with him, first of all. They're, they're good for you, secondly. But thirdly, God's plan for you is a revelation of hope. Look at this next phrase. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope. Plans <clears throat> to give you hope. Now, this definition in about seven bucks will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. But here's my definition of hope. It's walking in the confidence and reality of what you already believe is going to happen. Walking in the confidence and walking in the reality of what you already believe is going to happen. And I'm going to tell you, this world is desperate for that kind of hope. Our world and our culture is desperate for that kind of hope. Uh, we see this probably more readily when there's mass shootings of some, some kind, whether they're at a, like they were in Vegas or at a school or at a, wherever, wherever they occur. Because there's this, there's this quick and, 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 and aggressive uh, uh, on the part of our culture and especially the media to find something or someone to blame. That it, it, I think it's hard for our, for our culture to grapple with the fact that there's evil in our world. The enemy's prevalent. And he grabs the hearts of men and women and works in the hearts of men and women. If I acknowledge that there's evil, then I may, I may also have to acknowledge that there's God. And so I think it's difficult for our culture to recognize evil. And so there's got to be something or someone to blame when catastrophe occurs, some kind of mass catastrophe occurs like that. And I would share with you <clears throat> this, that, that our hope is, is not in gun legislation. In fact, our hope is not in any kind of law at all. Our hope is not in any kind of politician at all being able to deal with these things. Our hope is in a God <clears throat> who can reach into the heart and mind of a depraved man or woman, 
depraved to the, to the extent that they want to pick up a weapon and take the life of someone else. Our hope is in that God who can reach into that heart and that mind and change it and heal it and turn it around. That's where our hope lies. So if we get a grasp of who our hope is in and where our hope lies, we start to see circumstances around us in our culture and in our lives through a much different lens. Why? Because he is our hope. Our hope isn't in laws and politicians and legislation. Our hope is in the person of Jesus. He says, plans to give you hope, he says in this passage. Uh, Nothing is more hopeful than seeing someone walk through the pit and walk through the prison on his way to the palace, like we saw Joseph last week. Nothing brings greater hope than that, to see someone navigate a hard place that they know they didn't bring on themselves and come out of that more, much, much more God-like, much more Christ-like. And as we witness that from the outside in, whether it's a, someone we know closely or someone we're, we're an acquaintance with, as we witness God do those things, those, those kind of miraculous things in their life, it fills us up with hope. They're, they're hopeful as well, but, but their witness fills us up with hope to the extent that, you know, if God has done that for them, he can do that in me. If he's done that in their life, in their circumstances, and in their world, he can do that in mine. He can do that. He can navigate me through the pit. He can navigate me through prison and take me to the palace as well. And when we see those kinds of things occur, it builds and, and deep, more deeply roots hope in our life. So when your life is working, that doesn't speak your loudest message of hope. It's when your life isn't working that you speak a louder hope to this world than when it is. It's, it's when life has thrown you a curveball and life is as, as poured on you, the things you didn't, you, you didn't see coming, or whether it's health related, as I said, or finances or relation or job related or whatever, when life pours itself at you and you didn't ask for it to come, it is those times when greater hope is seen and known and walked out in your life and around and through your life to other folks. It's not when life is clicking. We think so. That's not when, when hope is, is, is the clearer message. It's more clearly seen. Your family... <clears throat> should bring out the best in you. But that's not where your hope lies. Your, your job should bring you fulfillment, but that's not where your hope lies. In fact, the things you own can bring you temporary happiness and temporary joy, but those things aren't where your hope lies. You see where I'm going? Your hope is not in the things that you can define and get your arms and, mind and hands around and things that that you can grasp your hope is in the person of Christ. He says, my plans for you are to give you hope. A hope beyond, excuse me, a hope beyond any, a place any relationship can take you, any career can take you, any possession can, a hope beyond all of those things. That's what I've called for you. That's what I've designed for you. And those things are found in me. Your hope lies in me, he says. God's plans originated with him. They're good for you, and they're a a revelation of hope. But finally, God's plans for you is designated, or or designed, rather, to look forward. God's plan is designed to look forward. Plans, he says in verse 11, to give you hope and a future. Plans to give you hope and a future. If we're asking, and some of us do sometimes, why can't things be like they used to be? Ever ask yourself that question? Why can't things be like they used to be? Uh, when I watched Neil Armstrong from my living room, I had great hope in America. In fact, as a nine-year-old boy, 
I thought in that moment, there's nothing we can't do. We can do anything we set our mind to do. I've incrementally lost that kind of hope over the years. Have you? And it's a shame. It's a shame that I don't, I don't see our, our nation through, <clears throat> through the same lens that I saw it through years ago. But I'm more jaded now, and I don't like being jaded. But my, my, my view and my skew is more jaded than it used to be. And I find myself sometimes asking those things, why can't things be like they used to be? Or, or maybe, your, maybe your question is, what just happened? <laughs> what was that? What did I just with? What, what did I just walk through? What just happened? Was that what I thought it was? If we're asking, why can't things like they be like they used to be? Or what just happened? We're asking the wrong questions. The question to ask is, what's next? What's next? Not, why can't they be like they used to be? And what was that? But what's next? He says, my plans are to give you hope and give you a future. I want you to look not to the past, but to your tomorrows, not to your yesterdays. But I have things I have things in your tomorrows that only I can bring to your tomorrows, and I want you to see those things, and you'll never see them if you're constantly looking to where it used to be and where the past, how the past used to affect your life. Uh, it's, in fact, the enemy wants to keep us mired in the past. He wants to keep us thinking of how it used to be and, and how it was, and, and what can I... Is there some way to reclaim that where I can, can redo that again and relive that again? And God is saying, the past is gone. It's your tomorrow that I want you to focus on. It's the hope of your future that I want you to make your, make your biggest investment in. And it's, it's, it's easy to be mired in the past or, or, or even overwhelmed by the present. You probably, like me, you feel overwhelmed by the present sometimes as you look around our world and see the circumstances in our world. But here's what I want you to see. That same enemy that wants to keep us mired in the past and overwhelmed by the present, he can read. And he knows what the future holds for him. And it doesn't look good for him. That's why he wants to keep us in the past. If we start to look to our future, we start to see what is in store for us. We start to see what is laid up for us, what is prepared for us, and start to look less and less at where he wants to keep us in our past, keep us confined to those times and those places when we thought it was the best it could possibly be. And it's never even close to the best it can possibly be because our future, according to Scripture, is much brighter than our past. And he knows that to be true. So he knows if our mind is cast on the future, he can't keep us nailed down in the past. Uh, if you know Jesus, though, your future is both permanent and present. What do I mean by that? It's permanent in the sense that your sins are forgiven, your steps are numbered, and heaven is your home. That's permanent. Your sins are forgiven permanently. Your steps are numbered by, by the Lord. He knows the days of your life. And heaven is your home. It is present in the sense that because those permanent things are in place, we can live here and now with far greater hope, far, a far greater sense of what our future holds because our, our sight and our mind and our, and our goal is looking not to this world but toward the next one. I often say we need to look at life through an eternal lens, and I mean that literally, literally because as we do that, we start to see them and you and her and him and this in light of eternity. We see the things that are significant from the things that aren't and can learn to hold on to and gravitate toward the things that are and let go of the things that aren't. Um, it's present and, and it, it, is both, it is both permanent. The, 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 the idea of, of our, our present 
being defined by what's permanent, frees us. Um, God's got our future. He's always had our future. And as I've said before, compared this analogy before, I remember as a kid, I could go anywhere with my dad, and I was cool. I knew I was, wherever I was at, I was going to be okay because I was with my dad. There is that kind of sense of, of, of spiritual fatherhood that I think that he, he wants us to walk with him into to say, um, be a kid again. Be a kid again with me. Learn to think with a sense of abandonment. Learn to see life and your, your, your place in it with a bit of wonder again. Learn to, learn to capture the unimaginable again. Don't be bogged down by the past anymore. Don't be consumed by the present anymore. That's where the enemy wants to keep us. He's saying, if you'll learn to, to live in the light of looking at life through an eternal lens, you'll see me and see that I've got all of this and I've had all of that already again too. And you can learn to live like a kid again. You can learn to look at, a, look at the TV again with a man setting his foot on the moon and saying one small step for man, one giant leap. There's nothing we can't do. You'll learn to live your life like that, looking through an eternal lens to say, there's nothing God can't do. This verse defines, there's nothing he can't do in me. There's nothing he can't do through me. There's nothing he can't do, period. I've shared this passage with you before, but I will again here in Isaiah 46, the latter part of verse 9 to verse 11. Scripture says, I'm God and there is no other. I'm God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. What's he saying? I've got it. I've had it. I've got it here, and I've got it there in your future. You can trust me. You can, you can, you can, you can live with a sense of abandonment because I, I hold your future in my hand, and it's a good future. Read the, book, read the, the words of this book to say, it's, it's going to be a good payday for you and I. And he's designed that for us and wants to walk us from this place to that place in abandonment, knowing that our hope and our future lies in him. Here's a question probably a lot of you uh, have asked before, and I have too, probably every, every human who's pondered deeper things in life, and that's this. Why am I here? Why am I here? And I wonder how many times you've I've asked that question dozens of times in my life. Even after finding God's call on my life in ministry, I still ask, why, why this? Why that? What are you up to? And the deeper question is really, why am I here? What is my life supposed to be about? What is it, what is it, is it supposed to count for? What it, what's my place? Uh, what's, what, what is God's design for me? We looked several months ago at this series in Epic. Go back and listen to it online if you missed it. To see our fit in God's huge Epic story. And his role for us in it. And that's at the core of this question. Why am I here? Why, what, what purpose is there for me? And the deeper question is, once I came to Christ and came to know him as Savior, why didn't he just pluck me out then to be with him? Because he's got design for me. That's why. He's got a plan for me. That's why. He's got a purpose for me that I need to find and get in and learn to walk in. That's exactly why. Uh, every child of God, every child of God can know the answer to that question. Why am I here? Some of you already do. Some of you may not. Every child of God can know affirmatively the answer to the why am I here question. Now, it takes, it, it processes as we take one small step. 
And one small step after one small step turns into one great leap after one great leap because we start to see, uh-huh, that's what this passage God drew, God drew me to meant for me. That's what this relationship with this person that I work with, that God brought into my life, that's what he was up to. And them coming to know Christ. Them wanting to hear the story of how I've walked through a hard place through, through health struggles or through family struggles or through divorce or through you fill in the blank. That, that witness was for them. It was about their eternity, not, not mine. It was about their circumstances, not mine. As we see God start to put the pieces together, we start to see a bigger picture and our, our perspective starts to widen out and grow and change. We start seeing our small little path that we're up to here. We start to see God's in that and here and there and there and there. And he's pretty big. And his design is pretty big. And his, his purpose is, is, is far greater than I've seen. Every believer can know the answer to that question. I encourage you, if you've missed any of this series, to go back and listen to those previous messages. Here's another tool I want to give you. We're, we're having a, a GAP class. GAP standing for Gifts, Abilities, and Passions, our discovery tool for, for believers on the 18th of August. So if you've not been a part of that and would like to, that's coming up August 18th. Or if you have and it's been a season or two and you want to revisit, I think God may be up to some, some fresh things in me and I want to discover what those are. Uh, connect up with that class. But here's what I want to leave you with today, and it's this. Know this down. The God of the universe, knows better, who knows you better than anyone else, has a unique plan for your life. <laughs> The God of this universe who knows you like no one knows you has a unique design and a unique plan for your life. The question is, do you know it? Well, you can't know it unless you know him. So you have to know him to know it. It, 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 is, it is spiritually taught and spiritually designed. And so as I know him, as, as I receive him as my Savior and pray to receive him into my heart, his spirit, the scripture says, comes to indwell my life with his presence and guide me into those places of truth. Guide me into those places of God's plan and design for me. Uh, do you know it? Do you know him? Are you pursuing it? Are you pursuing him? Uh, does that show up in your, in your vocation? Does that show up in your profession? Are you seeking ways through where God has planted you vocationally and professionally to bring glory to him, or is it just a means to, to pay some bills? I don't care how old you are, and I don't care how, how much money you make. If that's all you're doing work for, Find something else. Allow God to show you another step, another place, open another door for you because he's designed more for you than just paying bills. He's designed that your vocation, what you do professionally, is an opportunity, is a venue, and a vehicle to bring glory to him and growth to you as well. We need to see our life through that lens of, is this of God? Is that of God? Is this God's plan? Is this, is this his will? Is this his design? And as we start to take those steps, we start to see, man, here's how God speaks to me often. Here's a door he's opening me again and another one again. And we start to grow confidence and that confidence grows into hope. And that hope starts to get us to see our future like we never have before. Why? Because we took one small step toward finding his plan. We took one small step toward saying, I want what he wants more than what I want. I see his way as better than my way. And it is. And it always has been. Not only for you but for your family, for your friends, for the folks that look, look from the outside in on your life to say, well, you're living, you're living with some intentionality that you do, used to not live with. You're doing things more on purpose than you ever have before. Tell me about that. Well, I started seeing God's got a plan for my life, and I wanted to find it. 
So I tried to, started to take some steps to that end by way of prayer, by way of scripture, by way of walking out and testing the waters here and there to see if God is in this and in that. So I'm living with more intentionality. Yep, you're true. That's true about me. Join me. Join me on this journey. Don't flounder around trying to figure out, does he even have a plan? Yes, he does. Do I know it? I need to find it if I don't. 